Our King has come, and His name is Jesus, and we come to celebrate that. That's what Christmas is all about. Although I know many of you have uh, started uh, watching some of the movies that shape uh, the, uh, uh, the culture of Christmas in America. Those movies are familiar to us, movies that uh, really have a... Um, just a sweet spot in our heart. All of us have those type movies that, that we enjoy. Um, regardless of, of where you're from in the United States, you, you have enjoyed these movies. Uh, some of the movies uh, that shape uh, the Christmas culture in America, one would be A Miracle on 34th Street, right? So A Miracle on 34th Street was one of those movies that's been remade several times. The best one is the one with Maureen O'Hara in it, in my humble opinion, but you know, who am I? Uh, but A Miracle on 34th Street. Uh, another movie, It's a Wonderful Life. George Bailey, Clarence the Angel, Mr. Potter, right? How, y'all know that movie? Okay, all right. Uh, to get a little bit more uh, uh, current, Elf, you know, is that a Christmas movie? I'm not really sure. Elf, uh, the Scrooge, or as I like to call it, a Christmas Carol, uh, which is what it is. That's the name of Dickens' book, A Christmas Carol. Uh, but Scrooge, and and so that's one of those movies. Uh, the Grinch Who Stole Christmas. You know, that's a Dr. Seuss book, but it's become a movie, and and people love it, right? Um, of course, you have the Hallmark movies, the Christmas Hallmark movies, which are the best. And, and I've got socks that I'll wear. I'm not wearing them today, but I have Christmas, several pairs of uh, Christmas Hallmark movie socks. I'll wear them. I'll show you. Um, and people say, how do you enjoy Christmas Hallmark? Because I don't have to think when I watch it. I know what's going to happen, and I know how it's going to happen, and I know what's going to end. Uh, it is the most not mind-numbing entertainment you can ever have. It's a great, great way to spend the afternoon, uh, Hallmark Christmas movies. Of course, my favorite Christmas movie of all uh, is... Uh, uh, John McClane and Nakatomi Towers, uh, a movie called Die Hard. I mean, just the best of the best, right? It is a Christmas movie. I was alive when they made it. It's a Christmas movie. Uh, but anyway, we, we have these movies that, that shape our culture. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, uh, Frosty the Snowman, uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. All these are movies, Right? And, and so there was one movie that <coughs> is a sequel to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, one of the sequels to it, um, and it, was <coughs> it came out in 2001. It's called Rudolph and the Island of Misfit Toys. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. It's, it's kind of nice. I don't know why they call it uh, the Island of Misfit Toys. I mean, I know why they call it the Island of Misfit Toys. I just don't know why it's part of the title because that's really not the main theme of, of the movie. Uh, the main theme of the movie is the toy taker uh, taking all the toys uh, away because he wasn't welcome as a little toy, uh, whatever it is. But anyway, uh, I, security, <laughs> security. If you're a Volvo, that's Kurt Breland. He is, uh, he is, uh, he's okay. Uh, that's Kurt Breland. Uh, and uh, anyway, thank you, Kurt Breland. I, I didn't recognize we've got people out in the back uh, here at our Kempsville location very nervous because I yelled security. And, uh, but 
Anyway, the, the, the movie uh, Reindeer, uh, Rudolph and the Island of Misfit Toys uh, it captures, the Island of Misfit Toys itself captures really what the theme of Christmas is. And the theme of Christmas isn't just having a little Christmas miracle that brings tear to your eyes and chokes you up. But the, the, the theme of Christmas is uh, a transformed life, life-shaping, history-making kind of transformation that takes place in us. Not, not just I fell in love or I saw mama kissing Santa Claus or, uh, or uh, there's a Kris uh, Kringle's cane in the corner of the room of the house that he made available to us in a miraculous way. No, those are nice stories. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I know those stories. I love those stories. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that doesn't hit what Christmas is really about. And Christmas is about how that God demonstrates extravagant grace to people who don't deserve it. And that's you and me. We don't deserve it. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Joshua chapter 2. Now, Joshua chapter 2 may be a weird place to look at a Christmas message. If you are familiar at all with Scripture and Bible, I, I quoted uh, earlier at the, at the, in the worship here at our Kinsville location, I, I quoted Isaiah 9, 2 through 6. That's, that's a Christmas passage, Isaiah 7, 14. That's a Christmas passage. Um, if you go to the New Testament, you have New Testament passages, Matthew chapter 1, really 18 through 23, that's a Christmas passage. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, that's, that, that's a genealogy of Jesus, which is really a Christmas passage. You might not know it, but John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, that's a Christmas passage. Uh, that is a Christmas passage that talks about Jesus before time began. Uh, in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word is Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And uh, all things that came to be came to be through uh, the Word. Nothing happened that he didn't do, uh, that kind of thing. And then verse 14, this is the Christmas verse. John 1, 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten full, uh, of the Father, full of grace and truth. So that's a Christmas passage. Luke chapter 2, uh, that, that is the classic, right? That's the classic Christmas passage um, uh, where it talks about... Uh, uh, that uh, there was a, a census that had to happen in verses 1 through 7. And then on the same night of the census, when Mary and Joseph had gotten to Bethlehem, uh, in the same night there were angels keeping watch over their flock by night, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and the shepherds were greatly afraid. And, and the angel said, Don't be afraid, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, the Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward me. Y'all know that, right? Uh, that's the classic. So what, why are we looking at Joshua chapter 2? <laughs> what is that about? Well, Joshua chapter 2 tells the story of a lady named Rahab. And I'm not going to read the story, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about Rahab. Uh, Rahab was not a Jewish person. 
and she was um, not one of those ladies that, uh, that you would want your son to marry if you were a mama or a daddy. And, and, and the reason I say that is because she had a profession. Her profession was such that it was not one of those prof- professions that you wanted your son to marry in a, a, a woman who was doing that kind of profession. So you see how I'm walking around this. And so uh, not only what, did she have that profession, but she was the head of the house where that profession was taking place. So she was the head of the house, the, the, anyway. And so, uh, so Rahab is, and everybody, if we saw her, we'd say, well, it, not in hatefulness, but just in reality, this person is a sinner, right? This person has sinned. She's living a lifestyle of sin. Uh, you would give her a scarlet letter if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, it's, it's, one of those, it's one of those professions where everybody knows this is not what God wants. Uh, and, and, and her profession, even in, and she lived in a town called Jericho. Now, Jericho is still there in the Middle East. You can go there and you can see where Jericho used to be. Uh, but uh, at this time, she lived in this city of Jericho and it had a great wall around it. And, and she lived in, uh, literally her house was in the wall. Um, and people would come and they would visit and they would say hi and then they would say bye and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Now, uh, Rahab was... Uh, something was going on in Rahab's life, though. Uh, there was something happening, and I'll tell you how I know in a minute, but there was something happening in Rahab's life. And she had heard the stories of the Lord God of heaven and on earth uh, who, uh, who had literally parted Red Sea and literally conquered foreign powers so that the children of Israel could survive. And she had heard that the children of Israel are on their way to Jericho. And, and there was something going on in her where she literally believed that this Lord God of heaven and on earth could change her life. And she needed it because uh, like the island of misfit toys, she felt out of sync and out of place. She, because of her profession and because of her, her lifestyle, she was on the margins of society, even in Jericho. You know, the Island of Misfit Toys, I don't know if you know this, the Island of Misfit Toys, on this island, there are uh, different toys that are not fulfilling their purpose. They're toys that were made for a thing that they're not doing. That's what made them misfits. So, for example, you have a kite uh, on the Island of Misfit Toys. The, the, The kite was made to soar in the sky, but this kite is afraid of heights, so it doesn't fly. So it's, it's a misfit toy. And then you have a ball, a ball that was made to bounce, but this ball has no bounce in it, so it is on the island of misfit toys, not fulfilling its purpose. Or you have binoculars. The, the binoculars, binoculars were made to see long distances in greater detail, but these binoculars can't see anything. So here you have on the Island of Misfit Toys something, a toy that was made for a particular purpose, and because it was not fulfilling that purpose, it felt as if it were a misfit, and so much so that it was actually isolated on this island where it wasn't supposed to intersect or interact with any other toys that weren't misfits. A little creepy. Here's the thing I want us to see, and and what Christmas does, Christmas helps us look in the mirror about ourselves. Uh, We look in the mirror and we see that Rahab 
was a misfit. And she was an outsider. She was an outcast. And she was an outsider. She was an outcast because of her profession, but really because of her sin. There was something disconnected inside her where she was trying to make ends meet, no doubt. She had a hard luck life, no doubt. But there was something disconnected inside her where she needed something more than what she had. Have you ever felt that way, where you needed something more than what you had? And Rahab shows us something about ourselves, too. You see, see, you and I were made for a purpose. Every person here was made for a purpose. Now, that purpose is not discovered uh, primarily through your vocation. That purpose is not discovered primarily through um, uh, the stuff you do or how well you do it or how poorly you do it or, or the games you play. That, that, those, are, those are good things. They're not bad things, but they don't give, they, they don't give us satisfaction. And it, it, it's really not the purpose for which we were made. You see, we were made for a purpose. We were made by God for a purpose. And that purpose was to know him and to enjoy his presence in our lives forever. You were made to know God. Every person here, we were made to know God. We were made to know him in a personal relationship kind of way. We were made, created by God himself to know him, but not only know him, but to be satisfied in who we are because we know him. But there's a problem. And again, just as we were all created made by God with a purpose to know him and enjoy him forever, we all have a problem. And it's a common problem that we all have. And it, it makes us misfits, outcasts and outsiders because we're not fulfilling our purpose. It's called sin. And I know we don't like to talk about sin too much. I, I don't mind talking about it because I know it very well. I know what sin is. I know what sin is in my life. I see it every day in me. So I know sin, right? And, and, and so I don't mind talking about it. But, and you might not either. Maybe you don't like talking about the consequence of sin. Now, sin is not some minor malady that makes it bad or hard for us. Sin is a cancer that eats away at our soul and kills us each day. Sin is that very thing that has separated us from God so that there's no way we can get to God, no way we can fulfill our purpose to know him and to enjoy him forever. Our sin separates us from God and absolutely mangles us and makes us out of sync. We are kites made to soar, but we're scared of heights. We are balls made to bounce, but we don't have any spring. We are binoculars made to see, but we're blind. We are people who have a purpose to know God, but we are sinners and separated from that purpose, just like Rahab was. You can punch the person to your right and to your left and say, you're a misfit toy. If you're married to that person, I wouldn't recommend it. I'd just, just go ahead and say it. Or if you're the husband in the marriage, don't do it. It's a trap. We, we all are misfit toys. We all, at, at the very core of who we are, we know that there's something out of sync in us. We know that there's something disconnected, not right. And we try to cover it. Oh, my goodness, don't we? Don't we try to cover it? We try to cover it with all kinds of different things. We try to cover it with activity, with, with uh, fun. I, 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 Hallmark Christmas movies were made to cover the pain of a lack of purpose. I mean, really, mind-numbing, soul-numbing. 
And we find a little bit of joy in, in a tear that falls across our cheek or a, or a good feeling. But can I tell you that the enemy of the Christmas miracle, I hear it's a drinking game. If you watch a Hallmark movie and every time you hear Christmas miracle, you're supposed to take a drink. I've heard that. I don't know that. This is still Baptist, y'all. I'm sorry. It, uh, so y'all writing down, that's a great Christmas party idea. We're writing that down right now. <laughs> oh yeah, let's do that. Um, but, but the enemy to a Christmas miracle is not Mr. Potter. The enemy to a Christmas miracle is not Ebenezer Scrooge. The enemy to a Christmas miracle is not the Grinch. The enemy to a Christmas miracle is not Hans Gruber who took over Nakatomi Towers. Die hard, y'all, die hard. The enemy to a Christmas miracle, to the miracle we need at Christmas, is our sin. Our sin. We can't push it off on anybody else. It's what I do. It's my sin that has separated me from God. So if the greatest enemy to Christmas is sin, then how do, I, how do I escape that problem? How do I get rescue? That's where God's grace comes in. You see, Christmas is the story of God's extravagant grace bringing rescue to outsiders and bringing us into his family, making us part of his family. That's, that's what Christmas is. Christmas is the story of how the God of the universe looked at the kite that couldn't fly and the, or the kite that was scared to fly and the ball that had no bounce and the binoculars that could not see. He, he looked at you and me in our sin, in, in the absolute disaster of our soul because of our sin, separated from him. He looked at us, he said, you can't reach me, but I'll reach you. And I'll send Jesus to the rescue. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says that the grace of God, which, appear, which, which uh, brings salvation, has appeared to all people. The grace of God, which, which brings deliverance for us, that's appeared to all people. When? How? At Christmas with Jesus, because Jesus is God who became man. We can't reach God, so God reaches us, and Jesus has come to rescue us. Now, this is the message that Rahab tells. Now, Rahab uh, is the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. I want you to get this. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. Uh, it talks, uh, talks about a lady named Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and uh, the woman who uh, was Uriah's wife that married David. You know, it talks about all these ladies. And it's unusual in a Jewish genealogy to have women, but these women are significant heroes of our faith. They're, they're, they're champions of our faith. Not because of, of, of their perfection, but because of God's grace at work in their imperfection. Rahab, who had this checkered profession, this checkered profession, this Rahab, who had a bad reputation because she was a bad girl, as we would define bad. Isn't it amazing how we always call the bad girl the person who is not us? Just think about that. We'll get to that in a second, I promise. Um, but Rahab is, is the, I mean... But something changes for Rahab. God's grace invades her life 
And God takes her in all of her checkered past and all of her imperfection and brokenness, and she, he takes this misfit and he makes her the great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother to Jesus, the Son of God, God made flesh. So there has to be something important about Rahab that we need to look at. Now, Rahab, again, you, you read the story, Rahab is, is a lady that, that something was going on in her life. There was something shaping her idea about herself and about where she was. In fact, she, I think she was getting to that place, um, and not just because of her job, but because of the hole in her soul. I think she was getting to the place where she was saying, God, uh, you're on your way, and you're either going to help me out or you're going to take me out. Have you ever felt like that? It, oh, my goodness, I'm in such a mess. God, you're either going to help me out or, God, you're going to take me out. I can tell you I felt that way. I felt that way in the last decade. You know, this isn't a 30-year-ago feeling. I mean, I felt that way. God, you're either going to help me out or you're going to take me out, and, and I want you to help me out. And so Rahab is thinking, you know, God, I need for you to help me out. He, he, she saw the writing on the wall, as it were, that, that God and his people are on their way, and she began to believe. Now, this is key. She began to believe that God could do for her what she couldn't do for herself, that God could rescue her. Now, I want you to, and I haven't read Josh, any, any other part of Joshua, but I want, I want you to look at Joshua 2, look at me in verse 9. And we'll just kind of lean in the, this verse, these verses. Uh, Rahab has, has received spies from the children of Israel, and she, they've come to her house. Uh, they were hiding in her house. And so he, uh, Joshua had sent them, and, and Rahab decides, you know what? I'm going, to, I'm going to hide them, and I'm going to commit myself to the people whose God is their Lord, and I'm going to abandon Jericho. I'm going to make this decision. Why? Because she believed that the Lord God of heaven and earth would help her out so he wouldn't have to take her out. All right, so uh, Joshua chapter 2, verse 9. So uh, Rahab, who's hiding these spies from the children of Israel, says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. So I know that the Lord has given you land. She says, I believe that the Lord God of heaven and earth has already given you this land, that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you and when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you, were utterly, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For, here it is, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. That's a statement of faith. She believed. Now, verse 12, now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, 
Since I have shown you kindness, and you can underline kindness because that's an important word, for I have shown you kindness that you will also show kindness, again, underline that word, show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from the death. And so the men answered, our lives for yours. If none of you shall tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly or deal in kindness and in truth. All right, so uh, let me tell you about the word kindness right quick. The word kindness in verse 12 and again in verse 14 is hesed. That's the Hebrew term, hesed. And that is a term that talks about the covenant commitment that God makes for his people as well as the people of God in covenant commitment with one another. So it's not just any kind of you've been kind to me or you've been nice to me or you haven't been mean to me. It's, that's not the word. The word is uh, I love you and I will die for you, right? That's the word. When, when, when Rahab uses this word, she's saying, I believe God so much that I am tying myself to you. I'm committing myself to you. I'm committing myself to the lifestyle of the people of God. She was ready to leave everything behind, risk it all, so that she could be part of God's family. Why? Because she believed. And God in his grace and his favor rescued Rahab. Now, let's just kind of break here, and I, I don't want to over-preach this, but can I tell you, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. Christmas is an opportunity for us to look in the mirror and see who we were who we are, and who we may become. Like Rahab, we were sinners. Look, your ugly sin is just as ugly as my ugly sin. I'm not saying that every sin is the same, but I'm telling you that every sin in the same way sent Jesus to die on a cross. I want you to hear that because, again, I know that not every sin is the same. I know that there are sins that affect others more than, than, than some other sins. But, but I'm, and I'm not saying that any sin is better or worse than any other sin. But here's what I'm telling you. The best of my sin and the worst of my sin in the same way sent Jesus to die for my sin on a cross. No matter how nice you think your sin may be or how bad you think your sin may be, Jesus came to rescue you. You and I were outsiders. We were separated from God by our sin. We were separated from God. We were separated from the promises of God. We were kites that could not fly, balls with no bounce, binoculars that could not see. But Jesus came to make us whole, to provide forgiveness for our sin through his death on the cross. His miraculous birth leads to his sacrificial death and his unique resurrection so that you and I can have life. We, can, we are no longer separated from God, but now we are part of God's family. Because, because of Christmas, we see the ugly in our sin, but we also see the beauty of God's grace. His grace sent Jesus to die in our place upon a cross so that we could be rescued. We can't rescue ourselves. Rahab could not rescue herself. She needed God's intervention. Either God was going to help her out 
or take her out. You and I once were children in wrath, in the uh, children in the line of God's wrath because of our sin. Maybe some of us still are. But if you're here today and you have by faith trusted Jesus, then, then you know what it means to once be an outsider. Once I was a misfit mangled by my sin, but now I am no longer. Now I am a new creation in Christ. See us the way we were, and Christmas helps us see us the way we are. If you look over in Joshua chapter 6, verse 25, it says that Rahab still was living in the land of Israel. You know what that means? It means that Rahab was no longer an outsider. She was made part of God's people. She's part of the family. Can I tell you, no matter how bad you've been, I mean, no matter how bad you've been, once God's grace gets hold of you, once you by faith receive Jesus, no matter how bad you've been, God brings you into his family and he brings you around his table and he says, now you are mine. You belong to me. I love you. And he showers us with his love and we belong to the God of heaven and earth. We're part of his family. If you're part of his family, then everything has changed for you. Everything's changed for me because now I'm part of his family and, 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 and I live by the grace that he's given. And this is another thing. Now, I'm not a perfect person. I, I, most of you all know, have known me long enough to know that, the, yeah, he's not perfect. I, I, I am not a perfect person. I'm not anywhere on the scale of, of close to being a perfect person. I'm not even, I mean, I don't even register on the scale. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm still a person who sins, right? I'm, I'm still a person who sins. Probably have sinned in my head just looking at some of y'all. That's a joke. That's a joke. Sort of. No, I, I, I mean, I, I struggle with sin. I don't know about it. I struggle with sin. But God didn't bring me into his family so that I could just give over to sin and just say, okay, well, I struggle with sin, so I'm just going to embrace it. God brought me into his family so I could live in the rescue that he's given me, so I could live for him, no longer for myself, but for him. And it takes God's grace for me to live for him. But that's where I'm a kite flying, when I'm living for him. That's where I'm a ball that's bouncing when I'm living for him. That's where I'm binoculars that are seeing. It's when I'm living for him. We all want a Christmas miracle. Can I tell you the, the miracle, the rescue doesn't come from, uh, from little who's down in Whoville singing uh, sweet little songs that make the uh, Grinch's heart grow two sizes larger that day. The rescue of Christmas and the rescue for us at Christmas doesn't come because uh, uh, Ebenezer had three haunts that scared him to death and he decided he was going to be better. And the rescue of Christmas doesn't come through Clarence the angel or even the well wishes of Bedford Falls for George. The, the rescue of Christmas doesn't come because Santa Claus gives a house to little girl, whatever her name is, Miracle 34th Street. 
the miracle, the rescue of Christmas doesn't happen because John McClain defeats Hans Gruber at Nakatomi Towers. Some of y'all are going to go watch that movie now, I guarantee you. The, the rescue of Christmas comes from Jesus. Guys, and there's no rescue apart from him. And that's, that's what we need to embrace. We, that, that's what we must embrace. There's no rescue apart from Jesus. And Jesus is God's extravagant grace to rescue you and me and to bring us into his family. And that's what Rahab experienced, and that's what we can experience when we, by faith, trust Jesus. And by the way, lest you think I'm making all this stuff up about Rahab, you go to James chapter 2, Rahab proved her faith in God by how she dealt with the spies. She, she, it, was, it was that she believed. And she's in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. She believed God, and it changed her life. And today, I want you to know if you will believe in Jesus, it will change your life. So what do we need to do? All right, so, so Christmas is here. How do we get hold? And I'll do this every week. How do we get hold of the Christmas spirit, right? And not really. How, how, how do we reorient our lives so that Christmas is more than just a song that we sing or a smell that we smell or, or, or lights that we light or Christmas presents that we give and get? What is Christmas all about? Well, Christmas is all about God's extravagant grace rescuing me Eric Thomas, the sinner. And, and when I recognize that my sin sent Jesus to die for me on a cross, to leave heaven's throne, to be born in a manger in a stable, to go to the cross as the perfect son of God, the perfect lamb uh, who died for my sin in my place, who was killed and then was raised from the dead so I could have forgiveness and new life so that me, a misfit toy, can be made whole and be brought into God's family. When I recognize that, then it changes the meaning of Christmas. i got to talk about Christmas 26 times, 25 times, uh, between now and Christmas Eve. i got to tell you, it gets a little weary to talk about Christmas that much. And so every time I have to talk, I have to think, now, what am I really talking about? Man, I'm talking about Jesus the King has changed my life. I, he's changed me. It's not about a song. It's not about a tradition. Those are nice. Those are fine. It's not even about the Hallmark Christmas. Those are neat. Let me tell you what it's about. The king of the universe left the throne of heaven, was born in a stable so that he might change Eric Thomas's life, so he might rescue me, so he might take this misshapen, misfit toy and give me purpose and satisfaction. That's what Christmas is. So how do we get hold of it? Well, first, be rescued. I mean, some of you here, and you know, every time we get together, I know most of everybody here is a follower of Jesus, but, but uh, at our Volvo location, here at a Kinsville location, in, uh, in our Iglesia Bautista del Camino location, uh, when we get together, there are people who gather with us who do not know the rescue that Jesus provides. They don't know that extravagant grace. And and maybe you're here today and you're feeling out of sync and you know that there's something not right. And you, you've covered it with a lot of different lights and sounds and bells and whistles. But really deep down, when you, when you have kept yourself 
to yourself and you are just sitting there and it's just you, you know that you're just a misfit toy that needs to be made whole and, and that you need forgiveness for that sin that has plagued you and robbed you of purpose in life and significance. And so today, I just invite you to come to Christ. That Christmas is about coming to Christ. I invite you to come to Christ. And what does that mean? It means that you come and you say, Jesus, I can't do this life on my own and I desperately need you. I believe that you died for my sin upon a cross. I believe that you were raised from the dead to give me new life. And so I come to you, Jesus, and I am asking you to forgive my sin and to make me whole and to bring me into God's family. I believe that you are my only hope. Will you come to Christ? And, and can I tell you, once you come to Christ, you are rescued. You are brought into God's family. It's an amazing experience. It's an amazing life. And some of you are here today and you need to be rescued, and I invite you to be rescued. Some of you are here today, you've been rescued, but you've stopped living in the rescue. You need to start living in the rescue again. What I mean by that is once you come into God's family, once he brings you into his family through faith in Christ, then that gives you a new way of life. Rahab, she lived with the Israelites. She took on the lifestyle of the people of God. When you and I enter into that relationship with God through faith in Christ, it changes the way we live. It changes our passions. It changes our purposes and our pursuits. It changes our priorities. It changes us so that we live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says that uh, Paul writes, he says, for the love of Christ constrains us, for we believe thusly that if one died for all, if Jesus died for all, then, then, then all have died, and Jesus died for all, so that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. That's living in the rescue. It's where I'm not living for Eric Thomas anymore. I'm living for Jesus Christ, my king. That's what it means to be a, a kite that can fly. No, no longer scared of heights. It's, it's the ball that bounces. It's the binoculars that see. It, it's living in the rescue. We need to be rescued. We need to live in the rescue. And finally, we, we need to share the rescue with others. I, I, I'm going to say something a little bit hard. So if you're a guest, please... Just understand, I'm, it's more family talk, but you, maybe you need to hear it. Um, people without a relationship with God live purposeless lives because they're not living according to the purpose that they have. And the Bible teaches they're going to spend an eternity in despair and judgment called hell. Now, we as followers of Jesus, we have known that God helped us out rather than took us out. And there are people that you know every day, people around you that, man, they're, they're empty, they're incomplete, and their eternity is uncertain, and we stay, stay silent as though that's okay. You have friends, you have neighbors, you have coworkers, you have, you, you have people, people you go to class, go to school with, and, and, and they are headed for hell, and you act as if you don't care. I act as if I don't care. We, we need a little bit better urgency than that. 
See, God didn't bring us into his family so we could sit right here and act like we're all that and peanut butter too. He didn't bring us into his family so that First Norfolk, uh, at our Kinsler location, or our Volvo location, or our Iglesia Baptista del Camino location, he, he didn't bring us and make us First Norfolk so that we could just uh, uh, be all fat and happy with our own little party going on. Guys, he planted us here in the seven cities of Hampton Road so that we could tell other people how that they could be rescued too. When was the last time you shared the rescue? Just shared the story of how God has rescued you. And you say, well, I'm scared to tell people. I get it. I'm scared too. But, you know, maybe it begins with an invitation. We're doing a one starry night this Wednesday night. It's for parents of children and preschoolers. And it's telling the gospel story. We're not doing it to entertain our kids. We're not doing it just to entertain our parents. One starry night, we're doing it so that we can proclaim the gospel in the seven cities of Hampton Roads. We want to tell the Christmas story. The Christmas story is the gospel story. Uh, we, we're not doing, putting on this program to entertain people. We're putting on this program as a gospel declaration. And it's an opportunity for you to bring your kids, for you to invite your neighbors to bring their kids so that they can hear the good news. Let's have a strategy in December. One starry night. What a privileged opportunity for us to share the rescue with someone else. Christmas at first is happening beginning of the 13th and the 14th and the 15th. And again, please understand, uh, people will hear things in music they'll never listen to me say. I get that. Goodness knows if I were to sing it, you definitely wouldn't listen, but we have people who can actually sing. I understand that there are things that, that, that people will listen to in music that they wouldn't listen to from a talking head like me. But we're not putting on Christmas at first. And by the way, it's all Christmas. Christmas at first, all Christmas, all the time. And it's a presentation of Christmas songs and music and themes. But we're not putting on a Christmas program to entertain you. This is Christmas at first isn't a Christmas program to entertain the masses. Christmas at first is a gospel declaration to the seven cities of Hampton Roads. Use this as an opportunity. You grab one of these uh, Christmas at first cards and, and you hand it out. I've got a whole bunch on this front row. You hand them to your friends and neighbors. Why? So that you can begin this strategy of sharing the rescue that you've received. What? We, we, we sit here and we, we enjoy the rescue, but we also have to share the rescue. We've got Christmas Eve getting ready to happen. We've got uh, every weekend from here to Christmas and most weekends after that, but every weekend from here to Christmas, we're going to be talking about this very thing. You're going to listen to the same sermon three different times. I'm serious. It's, that's Christmas. It's an opportunity for lives to be changed. There are people in your world, they are kites that cannot fly. They are balls with no bounce. They are binoculars that don't see, and you have a chance to offer them the rescue that God has offered you. Please don't keep silent. So in these next few moments, as we close with a song of worship and praise, I just want to invite you to consider, do you need to be rescued? If you need to be rescued, there are going to be uh, ministers 
down here at the front, if you are here today and you're ready to choose Christ, you're ready to leave behind the old life and take hold of a life of purpose and meaning through faith in Jesus Christ, you come and see one of us at the front. If you are a follower of Christ, will you take these moments and think as we sing about Jesus Christ, the Messiah and King, will you think about your life and whether whether or not you are living in the rescue that you've received in Christ? Can you say with the Apostle Paul, I've been crucified with Christ? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I've been killed with Christ. It's not me living anymore. It's him living through me. Can you say that? That's what it means to live in the rescue. And finally, will you give yourself in such a way that you share the rescue with others? There are people who are desperate to know the secret of life that you've already received. It's time to start sharing. Would you bow your heads with me, please? In these next few moments, regardless of the location where you are, there are people who need to choose Christ today. And I pray that in these moments you would choose Christ, that you would, by faith, trust him as your only hope for forgiveness of sin, that he is God, he became flesh and bone, that he lived a sinless life so that he might take our sin upon himself to provide forgiveness for our sin. He was raised from the dead to give us a new life, and today maybe it's time for you to be rescued. So in the sound of my voice, if you're ready to be rescued by Jesus, I invite you in these next few moments to stand where you are and come and talk to one of the ministers here at the front. We'll help you on that journey. Now, Father, in these moments as we have gathered in your name, I pray that you would draw us closer to yourself and help for us to experience the full measure of your favor in our lives as we set our focus on Jesus the King. I pray that you would help us in these moments to find the joy of your grace alive in our life. Now be glorified as we worship you, and as we respond to your word. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.